Before I begin, I think it's important, and by important I mean I think I'm required to say two things, and I want to say it in front of a congregation, and I want to record it from public. First, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that of all the beautiful beaches that Sherry and I had seen in the last couple weeks, or last couple days in Hawaii, Golden Beach remains my favorite, honestly, okay? And if I may say so, it's my home beach. So, second, and this is the one she really wanted me to say, she was right. Sherry was right. Um, don't even attempt to go two hours without sunscreen. Don't do it, especially when it's the first few hours in the sun in over five months. It's just, it's not worth it. And then uh, I said there were two things. It's because I'm going to delete out this third thing on the recording so you guys get the bonus. So I'm lucky because my wife has a lot of moisturizers down here at the lake. So as I'm going through all of her stuff and I'm finding moisturizers, I realized last night that there's a difference between moisturizer and a moisturizing foundation. So if you think I look funny red splotchy, you should have seen me red and white splotchy. <laughs> All right, I'll edit that out later. Now that I have that out of the way. Uh, this morning we're continuing our study of the impact of we, that we experience in our lives as a result of, of our response to God and his blessing, most notably the gift of Jesus Christ, who's our Lord and Savior. We began this series just as we celebrated the new year by reviewing the reasons that Jesus was born and, and what was accomplished through his life, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and, and work that is still being accomplished today in our very own lives and for us. And you may recall my explanation that as the world had spent time getting ready for Christmas, getting all ready and excited and pumped up, and then moved very swiftly to pack it all away, until next year, we were going to take our time with Christmas so that when the world begins to start thinking about Jesus again, just in time for Easter, we can stand ready because we have well spent this time in between preparing for it. And the next message in the series was titled Ground Zero, and we specifically talked about the impacts that, were, that have been made in our lives and that we in turn can and should do to make an impact in the lives of others for the sake of Jesus. And God will take advantage of even the smallest opportunity to get into our lives. And last week we talked about the hope and peace that come when we let God's light in. And there are many ways that these things are accomplished. He's actually very clever and, and quite tenacious when it comes to finding ways to bless us and to get into our lives, even when you don't realize or give him credit for what's going on. So next week we're going to go a little deeper into the many tools that Jesus used to deliver the message of God's love for us. But this week we're going to look at the single most direct and prominent way that God delivers his message to us, and that is through the written word of the Bible. Now we all know what the Bible looks like. This is a Bible, and you've got them in your pews, and I, I love that Wes shared it, and it was very timely that he brought in his family Bible from 1901, was it, Wes? 1901. Copyright, yeah. Copyright 1901. So that's where that thing was printed, and if you look at it, it's been well-used, well-loved, and that is awesome. And it's just perfect that this is the week that he, he shared that because we know what the Bible looks like. We have a pretty good idea what the Bible is. But let's review a few things. And I want to start with just a couple fun facts, I'll call them. Okay? These are some, some facts about the Bible. So the Bible is not a single work, but a collection of works from a wide variety of authors. Shepherds, kings, farmers, priests, poets, scribes, and fishermen all contributed to the Bible. Authors also include traders and embezzlers, adulterers, murderers, and auditors. So it's, it's, it's not one 
holier-than-thou person who sat down and wrote this thing. It's a story of God working in and through lives, and a story still being written today. Now, it has been translated in full into 532 languages and in part into 2,883 languages. I could not even guess that many languages in the world, but it has been translated so that God's word, not only spoken but in print, is distributed and distributable. We know that it's the word of God, divinely inspired writings, God's message to us through people who put pen to paper and told the story. And the Bible informs the traditions of three major religions, and you maybe didn't know this, but Christianity, obviously, Judaism, and Islam has a lot of the major religions have traditions described or set forth in the Bible. In fact, Muslims believe the Bible is relevant from God, um, but it's been corrupted by man. The man's put his own, his own twist, and they believe the Quran is the correction of that. Okay? It is also an inspiration for art and theater and music, both secular and religious. Okay? Some beautiful love songs written to and about God. In fact, there are periods of history where the best music and theater and stuff came out of the Bible. Did, based on that. It's the best-selling book in history, right? Over 100 million copies sold each year. It's the number one on Kindle's book list. It's the best-selling book in history, like I said. There were 5 billion copies sold. It is also the most stolen book. But I think we intend for it to be stolen. They, they cite that, the ones in the hotels, which actually I don't see that as very often anymore. But it's okay to steal the Bible. We want that thing spread. Give it away. Give it away. Do any of these surprise you at all, these facts? It's kind of interesting. It's the number one highlighted book in the world, too, on, uh, on e-books, which is interesting. And if you pull out open yours, perhaps yours is highlighted, too. So, Now, there are translations of the Bible, and there are paraphrases of the Bible. There are word-for-word -word translations because the Bible is written in multiple languages, none of which is English. And the King James is widely believed to be one of the closest word-for-word -word translations. And then there are paraphrases, like the message which take this concept, this idea, and share the idea as well. In fact, um, I did bring a handout. I'll just, I don't know if someone wouldn't mind helping me out with this. Um, and what this is, it's a Bible translation chart, and it talks, it just has, let's see, maybe a dozen of the most common translations of the Bible, Amplified, uh, Contemporary English, King James, The Message, NIV, and others. And it kind of talks about the reading level it was written for. Uh, basically, the philosophy is it a word-for-word -word translation, a thought-for-thought -thought paraphrase, and it kind of gives a couple distinctions. And on the back's kind of a chart. And I just thought it might be interesting for people who are interested in what is the story of the Bible, not the stories in the Bible, of the Bible, to kind of see this and, and get familiar with why sometimes we might read the NIV and sometimes we might pull out and read a parable from the message, per se. So there was that. But back in 2018, back in September of 2018, I shared a message, and I titled it Biblical Mythbusters. I don't know if you guys remember this. And we looked at the most often misquoted and misapplied verses of the Bible. And as part of that message, I shared a few cliches that are often credited to the Bible but not actually in text. And if you're curious, I can, I can pull out that old message for you because there are, you know, money is the root of all evil, right? That's just, it's a misquote. It's the love of money. 
But here are some that are, that are often attributed to the Bible that are not actually in it. God helps those who help themselves. Right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. In the last days, you will not be able to know the seasons except by the changing of the leaves. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, there are scriptural truths in these, right? We are called to love all people and, and not love what's being done. So hate the sin, love the sinner is a biblical concept, but is not itself in the text. This too shall pass. Neither a borrower or a lender be. God works in mysterious ways. I think we can all agree that's the truth. The devil can cite scripture for his own purpose, right? Have you heard any of these before? Have you used any of them before? Yeah, they're, they're very familiar. How about this? God will not give you more than you can handle. Now that's encouraging, right? But it's actually based on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I read this one at least twice a month. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So maybe that's where that comes from. Okay, it's not saying he'll give you won't give you more than you can handle because if he's trying to stretch your faith, if he's trying to strengthen you a little bit and rely on him, he's going to give you a little more than you can handle. So it doesn't say that he's not going to give you more than handle. It just says he will not let you get tempted beyond what you can bear. And it says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. That's the promise. Okay, Well-meaning people hear that and say that and then you get confused by saying, then why did this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay. And I'm not convinced that there's harm in these cliches either. Okay. However, I am quite confident there is more power in the truth and in the good news of Scripture itself. This is why the good news, that's why the hope we have, the light of the world, and all of the thes, they're so much more than cliches because they're promises. So let's dive a little deeper. I'm going to ask some common questions and, that we have about the Bible and then answer them with the scripture itself. And I may move quickly through the details, so I'll remind you that many of these scriptures I'm going to refer to are on the back of your announcement sheet, so you can read them and re, uh, refer to them on your own and maybe do your own study. But first, why is the Bible important? Why does it, why does it matter? Because it's God's word, and it's necessary for our spiritual health. Bible says, and this is our scripture, remember, all scripture is God-breathed. It means even though he did not write it himself, it is God-inspired and is useful for teaching, right? Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now remember, the Bible is a tool, not a weapon, okay? So when it says words like rebuking and correcting and training, that's to keep us on the straight and narrow. That's not to clobber someone with. How about this? But he, this is Jesus, it says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's from Matthew, but he's actually quoting Old Testament scripture. And when that happened, he was being tempted by the devil. And the devil's saying, well, if you're the son of God, if you're who you say you are, then do this. You know, create this from this. And, and the details aren't important for my point here, but he's saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use scripture. I'm going to answer you with the truth. The truth of the word, right? And how about this? This is from Job 23, 11. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food because it is so much more important, our spiritual health, than our physical health. And both are very important. God tells us to take care of our bodies as well. But take care of your soul because it's eternal. The Bible is important because it's the basis of our faith. 
All right? So faith comes from hearing. This is Paul's letter to Romans. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We get faith because we hear God's word as it is written. The Bible is important because it provides hope. Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Or Jeremiah 29.11 You can probably say this from memory. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Those are God's words. And if you dive into it, if you pray and say, God, I'm going to read your word. Tell me what your plans are for me. See if he doesn't reveal it to you. The Bible is important because we are commanded. I mean, it is so important. We are commanded to keep the word close. It says, you shall meditate on it day and night so that you, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's from Joshua. Meditate on it day and night. That doesn't mean just read it day and night, but think about it. What do I know about the situation from what I know of God's word? And then Paul's instruction, Timothy said, until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Stay in the word. The Bible is important because it's God's word. And even though this is, a, here's a, a Bible in, in the altar this morning that's over 100 years old, that's relatively new in the age of Bibles, right? It's because God's word's eternal. Not just the book, but the word itself is eternal. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word of our God will stand forever. The Bible's important because it's the truth. Not just a truth, it's the truth. And John says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a freedom in knowing the laws and the rules and, and the guidance for our life. It's not inhibiting, it's freeing. Because within the context, within the safe confines of these loving limits that God sets for you, you have freedom. And that is a greater freedom than wondering if I'm doing enough, if I'm good enough, if I've, if I've crossed the line, if I've done something horrible, am I inhibited by these things of fear? And God says there's no fear in this. There's no fear in love. So we have this important book, God's Word. How do I use it? Well, we can use it as an owner's manual. And guys, you understand this? Okay, today's problem is this. I better go look it up, you know, see what it is. That's how some people use it, and that's fine. God, I'm really struggling with with anger or a fear. What does the Bible say about that? And, and even in preparing my own message over the course of the last two and a half years, I started, and I don't think this is a bad way, but I think this shows a little bit of maturity only in myself, is I started by saying, okay, I need to talk because I need to hear about forgiveness, for example. So I'm gonna look in the Bible and find what I know about forgiveness and what God says about it. And that's good because we want to refer to scripture. Messages on Sunday morning should be based on scripture, not just opinions. But as I progressed, I realized, God, I, I feel like we need to learn about forgiveness. What does the Bible say? And now I can make fun of this because I, I don't use reading glasses like I don't use sunscreen. So I print in really big print. <laughs> this, is, this is this week's notes, and I will use a concordance and, and Bibles and, and all kinds of other tools, and I will often 
print a, a couple hundred sometimes verses that are relevant. And I will, over the course of a couple of weeks, read through all of this. And then what is the Bible telling me? What is God saying about this? Now, what is Tyler saying? The Bible proves it. What is God saying about this particular topic? And then I can narrow it down. And yes, it's really big print because I don't like to use my glasses. But, and, and that's, how I, that's how I do it. I, I say, God, what? And that's how we're supposed to. We aren't just supposed to read the Bible. We're supposed to say, God, show me something you want me to hear. You know, and we're all old enough now. We've, we've heard certain verses over and over and over. But isn't it amazing? At certain times in your life, it has a different meaning. Maybe in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, which you heard is in elementary school or, uh, you know, a, a VBS perhaps. Maybe you were understanding because you, you could see the Samaritan. You were the, the one that understands the role of coming by and helping somebody in need. Maybe you're at a time in your life where like you feel like the guy that was beaten up and everybody else who's supposedly so good is just walking on by and not taking notice, you know? Maybe that story convicts you because you're at a time in your life when you think you've got it all put together, but when someone's in need, you walk right on by and not even notice. It's amazing how the Bible can speak to you in different ways. So never stop asking God to show you something new and different. Now, the Bible, it can be used as a defensive weapon. In fact, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's self-defense. That's one that says, I know I'm not going to mess up because I know what's considered wrong or inappropriate beyond the Ten Commandments. I know what you've called me to do. And even when Jesus was tempted, he replied to Scripture. He was used as a defensive weapon. He said, you know... Satan tried to tempt him, and he said, he quoted scripture back, Old Testament scripture from the law. That was his defensive weapon. It's a part of this full armor of God that we put on, the truth, right? It's the truth. We can use it as guidance. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. That's from Psalms. Or also in Psalm 119, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin up against you. It can be a source of encouragement. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I would love to hear that sometimes. You just, am I doing this right? This is the way. Keep going, right? When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, the voice says, this is from Isaiah. This is the way, walk in it. It's a source of wisdom. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, declares the Lord. Right? If we want to understand God, we need to hear from him. And it's a way we connect with God. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works or of the law or by hearing with faith. Hearing the word of God with faith. Let me give you just a couple practical tips on this. When you want to read the Bible, find a version you're comfortable with. And that's part of why I gave you what I gave you. Find a version you're comfortable with. It needs to be, you know, biblical based, honest, close to word for word. But at the same time, if you don't understand what you're reading, then you need to either study a little harder, a little differently, or get a version that does. And then, of course, you've heard me say this, pray. 
pray before you read the Bible. God, I want to do this and honor you. Let me focus on your word. Let me hear what you need to hear. And then ask questions like, what did I just read? I mean, one of the prayers from Psalms is open my eyes and may behold wondrous things out of your law. What does this verse mean? Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, Paul writes to Timothy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. Okay? God, help me understand what it is you're trying to say. And then how do I apply what I just read? This is from James. It says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at, at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It says, don't just read it and say, check. It says, read it and be doers. Do what it says. And Luke says, but he said, blessed rather those who hear the word of God and keep it. And one more thought. Be sharers of the word, of the Bible. Give it away. Like physically give it to someone. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. That's Galatians 6.6. 6. Talk it up. Talk it up. First Timothy. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before your brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Okay? You're serving God when you share the word with others. And have a testimony. Wes, I don't know if you realize it or not, that was a testimony you gave this morning. You went through your house looking for a dictionary and found a family Bible. That became a testimony today of the history of this Bible and your family. And it is a visual reminder up front of the, of the endurance of the word. Have a testimony. Revelation says, Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of his prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written In Thessalonians, we also thank God constantly for this. For when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It says first to the Jew and also to the Greek. This word was written for all. So friends, we with good intentions often use cliches, paraphrases, and common language to convey an important thought or idea. So not only do I want you to understand and believe how the sovereign word of God is more than cliches, there's truth in it, I want you to be wary of some of the other ones that we may use improperly. It's like when someone shares something with you, sometimes we simply say, I'll pray for you, okay? I'll pray for you. Or, or you're in my prayers, you're in my thoughts and prayers. And that's fantastic, but make sure you're following through in that promise. In fact, how impactful might it be for that person if you stopped and actually did it right then? Not for show, not for the appreciation of the compliment of the person, but because it's the right thing to do. You want me to pray for you? Let's play right now, real quick. How about keeping the Sabbath holy? And we discussed this last week's Bible study time. Don't just go through the motions or use it as an excuse to pick what you are or aren't willing to do on a Sunday. Be intentional with your Sunday. And whatever you choose to do with it, do it in honor of God. If you're here at church, sing out. Read the scripture. Participate in the prayer. Smile. Greet people. When you leave church, be a little nicer to everybody you meet. Be a little more generous with your tip if you eat out today. Spend quality time with God through prayer and through his word and through thoughts. 
Spend quality time with your family and your friends. Okay? Don't just keep the Sabbath holy and, and as a general thought, but do something good with it. And last, consider the altar call. It's not a cliche. It's not just a vague invitation to reach out for prayer or support. Rely on your church to fulfill one of its most important roles in your life, and that is to support you in your faith walk. Not just to give you a place to come and gather on Sunday, very, very important. Not just a place to go do something good for the community, very, very important as well. But it's a place where, where believers gather and meet and encourage and support each other in prayer and other ways. So don't, don't overlook that opportunity. And I'm going to issue a challenge this week, and that's to do something with, this, with the Word. Do something more with the Word, and I know that's very vague, which is I want you to start with a short prayer asking God what He wants you to do with this challenge. Okay. Before we next gather, I, I want you to, to say yes to one of these questions. You know, Did you share the Scripture with someone? Did God call you to share the Scripture with someone, to give you that opportunity? Did you have an opportunity and take it to apply scripture to your own life or your own situation? Sometime during this week, did you ask and answer your own question about God's word? Sometime during this coming week, will you read even just one more word from the Bible for yourself than you did the week before? That's a victory. That's a step. Or perhaps something completely different than what we're even talking about here. If you pray for God, let me do something more with the word, with your word, and see what he does. And if you can say yes to any of these when we next meet, then you've made a challenge, you've made, you've made a change, you've made an impact. And I thank God in advance for what he's accomplished for you. So let's pray. Father God, in a world full of so many words, there is one place where the word is found that is the truth, the enduring truth, this inspired word by you shared through the stories and testimonies and accounts and songs and poems of many people across many hundred years, across many languages and many continents that we still know to be the truth today. God, this week in particular, I pray that we will accept this challenge to do something more with your word and how we use it, or refer to it, or share it, or rely on it. God, let this be step one in the next step of our faith, and let us be changed for making this commitment. God, let us never look, overlook the cliches that sometimes occur when we are called to pray for someone, to have someone in our thoughts and prayers, when it comes to supporting one another, and when it comes to relying on this church and the congregation. God, as always, I do want to thank you for this building, what it's represented uh, in the community, even as recently as yesterday, hosting a, a celebration of life, memorial service for someone in this community, and we filled this place. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for all that have contributed and contribute and will be contributing to it in the coming years as we celebrate our 40th year as a congregation. And God, as always, I do want to thank you for the gentle reminder of the empty places and the pews and what they serve, that there is a place and a need to gather to meet you and to enter in a relationship with you. 
Father God, as we go forth this place, I ask your blessing over all gathered here this morning, all those who listen online, and for all those who just couldn't make it today. Father, we thank you in advance for the blessings you have intended for us, and we give our lives to you. Amen.